smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host Cliff Schechter here with the lovely John Aravosis. Hi, John. Hello. I'm giving the queenly <laughs> wave. Hello. Hello. We are lucky enough to have with us a great longtime friend, very important activist, and current president of NARAL Pro-Choice America, Elise Hogue. She's also the author of a new book, The Lie That Binds. And uh, I should say, I'll just disclose, I've worked with uh, Elise in the past. And uh, we've, you know, John may have too, who knows, but we've known her for a while. She's awesome. Hello, Elise. I just, I just love Elise. I've not worked with her. <laughs> That's not true. We're kids, we, very well, I mean, many no, I mean, we haven't worked officially. No, we, we won't work alongside. Right. You guys have worked alongside. <laughs> But I actually, disclose because you've actually paid me for stuff. So I, I like that's true. Stuff. But Cliff, I don't know if you've connected the dots, but hmm. I paid Cliff as a consultant very early in my time at NARAL when um, I had an inkling that we were not sufficiently informed about what we were up against and what the op- what drove the opposition, what their hmm. infrastructure was. And he helped me sort of lay the foundation for the project that ultimately seven years later actually resulted in this book, The Lie That Binds, which is that culmination of years of exploration of the radical right, what made them come into being, how they weaponized abortion and service of propping up white patriarchy and a changing world. You were there at the beginning, Cliff. Well, now you make me feel better about myself. I played a small role, even if it's minuscule. Um, I mean, you know, I'll say to people, this is an and, issue then, and then I got to do a quick ad, by the way. Well, just I'll just say quickly, and I'll toss to you an issue close to my heart. And again, I have a million disclosures to go through, but I'll just say quickly, I've been on the board of Planned Parenthood in Ohio, um, and so this is one that I care deeply about. Um, let me throw to you, John, for an ad, and then we'll get back and hear all about it. Yeah, I want to hear about the book, and then Supreme Court, and lots of important stuff. Um, yep. Summer is all about grilling, and no one understands grilling better than Omaha Steaks. Their grand summer grill-out package lets you stay home and eat like you're at the best steakhouse in town, all for much less. They've got bacon-wrapped filet mignon, pork chops, chicken, kielbasa, and more, all delivered to your door with ease. And right now, Omaha Steaks is offering an exclusive deal on this amazing package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code LIBERAL in the search bar. And for this week only, Omaha Steaks will add four burgers and four gourmet jumbo franks for free with your order. Omaha Steaks delivers guaranteed quality and safety with each order. Your order will arrive flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and safely delivered to your door in a cooler with dry ice. Go to omahasteaks.com, type liberal in the search bar, and order the Grand Summer Grill Out Package. For this week only, you'll also receive four jumbo franks and four Omaha Steaks burgers free to complete your steakhouse experience. That's (laughs) omahasteaks.com. Well done, John. All right, the lie that binds, Elise, talk to us. What's it about? <laughs> you know, it really, it is, I, I hope we brought to, to life this story of this very small group of really extreme characters who started in the late 60s looking at a changing America <clears throat> and thinking, how do we stop social progress? Basically, they uh, called themselves dominionists. They believe God gave white men white Christian men specifically, the power to rule over all systems, economic, social, and political. And um, what we tried to sort of tell is how they they bumbled into abortion <clears throat> as at the tip of the spear of their efforts. They started with fighting school desegregation. Then they merged with Schlafly and crew in beating the ERA, which did not, the debate was not about abortion. Um, and then it wasn't until the late 70s that they were kind of casting about for a new issue. And we talk about it very um, 
very specifically as they built a Trojan horse around abortion as a dog whistle to move what was essentially uh, an agenda that would roll back social progress that was happening at the time. You know, it was women's liberation, black power, LGBTQ rights were all the rage, you know, and, and it, it threatened them. It threatened their hegemonic grip on power. And it also, the book actually comes all the way into modern times. It gets us all the way into COVID. And I think that's really important because one of the things we trace through the book is a use of disinformation to silence a public that did not support their agenda, but also at prioritization of their own radical ideology over public health, safety, and science. And what we keep saying is what we've experienced so much being in the field of reproductive freedom and justice, um, where pregnant people, women absolutely need access that they're not getting because public policy has been defined by ideology. Now, unfortunately, the country is experiencing on an exponential level um, because of COVID and the COVID response. That's really interesting. Right. So we're, we're dealing with that. We're now sort of writ large, their naysaying about health concerns and, and uh, ignoring I experts, mean, doctors. Right. If we had demanded science based public policy when people were putting um, into bills that women can't get pregnant from rape, by the way, a piece of disinformation we trace back to Auschwitz medical experience and non-medical experiences in Mm -hmm. Auschwitz, um, or that ectopic pregnancies in your home state cliff, right, (laughs) of Ohio, need to be re-implanted, which every doctor says, that's not medicine, that's magic. And we failed to actually mobilize a sufficient response to say we demand science, fact-based public policy. Um, And so now we have COVID and this administration's inept response to COVID. By the way, full disclosure, I came to reproductive rights. I didn't come from it. So we can make the same case case about climate, right? We have allowed a group of zealots to move an agenda that is self-serving and ideological at the expense of science, and we're all suffering the consequences. I'd argue, too, that the the issues John and I, some of the ones we've worked on the most with John LGBTQ rights and guns I've worked on also – where they ignore science, you know, pedophilia is linked to, to yep. homosexuality and more guns equals less crime. And, you know, same idea, right? Which is right. just extreme claims, ignore the actual scientific studies yep. um, and, and and try to rally around culture war. Well, they're yeah. very, I mean, yeah, go on, Elise. Oh, I was, uh, you can talk to John, but I was going to say, <laughs> we actually write in the book about the inane hypocrisy of the same person um, in a state legislature, uh, writing in Illinois, actually, um, writing that she supported conversion therapy for LGBTQ teens because that is a personal decision that should be made in the family while absolutely supporting banning abortion for pregnant people. <laughs> right. I mean, Elise, do you... I'm giving me a hard time saying this. I'm, I'm how to exasperated. Say this. I mean, I am <laughs> exasperated. You know, you're funny, Cliff. That's right. <laughs> this is my exasperated voice. I have never under, I understand, and I've never understood the opposition to abortion, meaning the visceral opposition. What I mean is, I guess I can see how somebody on the other side might say, well, I actually think this is a child, right? I mean, okay, whatever. You think that. But it's not your child. Like it, we, devoting my entire life <laughs> to freaking out about abortion freaks me out a little bit. Like I don't, I can understand how you, although you didn't even devote your entire life, but how you as a woman, you're like, this is literally my rights. But in their case, 
they're they're getting all these kids together to all these churches and they're freaking out about something that isn't even affecting them directly. And I mean, I'm all for people joining causes, but I don't understand the visceral craziness on the right about abortion. Why does it but get them is, so? This is the lie in the lie that binds. That okay. this movement is or ever was driven by a central concern for outcomes of individual pregnancies. Okay. It's not that. We've got to call it out. That's part of what this book and the associated podcast, which launches next week, and your right. listeners should definitely listen to, um, it is an attempt to do, oh, is absolutely. to peel back the layers and say, that's not what it's ever about. However, what's really interesting is that when they chose abortion, a couple different things happened. One, hmm. they gambled on the idea that pervasive cultural discomfort with women who have sex for fun Right. Oh, my right, God. Right. Can you imagine? Right. Right. <laughs> um, are, you know, are, are deserving of some kind of punishment as Trump spoke the quiet part out loud in 2016. Um, and that you lay, you know, especially um, a racial overlay on that. Right. Like this was happening during the 80s. What was Reagan doing? He was vilifying single moms, particularly in the black community, as though they were irresponsible and not centuries of structural racism and separating black families was, was, right. was responsible for that. Um, and that people would right. be quiet because people don't like to talk about that stuff. And their gamble was correct, right? It paid off. And the other thing they figured out, by the way, been tested subsequently, and I'll talk about that, is that antipathy, opposition to the idea that a woman should be in charge of her own body and her own destiny. Oh my God. Was an excellent, oh, excellent proxy. Yeah, Elise, I got it. Yeah. Herman Herman Cain just died of coronavirus. Wait, what? Her, oh my it's god, on I the heard news he right was, now. He was in that bad shape. I'd wow. seen that. They were ex-president now. Herman Cain, you guys may remember, African American uh, uh, presidential candidate. I forgot whether he had other jobs as well. I mean, obviously he had other jobs, but I mean, what his claim to fame was. Let's let's say that we'll get back to talking about him. Wow, after I'm Elise sorry. I just the show. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, Elise. Story, and you should no, do it. Here I can tie it in. You want me to tie it in? Yes, yeah, please. absolutely. So, <laughs> so um, let me. So, Herman Cain is an example of people that actually whose 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 people were repressed by this agenda, but who propped it up for proximity to power. Hmm. Right? We actually do talk about Herman Cain in the book, but we talk even more about white women who have through history actually propped up the white patriarchy, selling out other women, particularly women of color, for that proximity to power. And we talk about Phyllis Schlafly. Certainly nobody's ever going to forget Susan Collins' speech to justify the Kavanaugh confirmation. But Kellyanne Conway, we talk about a lot. And that was crucial both to their ability to put a female face on gender repression, but also to create just enough white women supporting this agenda to create electoral victories, even though there was nothing in it for women. Right. And can I ask you something? I mean, from my understanding of the history, and I'd love you to correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, in Catholic doctrine going back, there was a sort of, you know, I don't want to just, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but life, I guess, as they said, it was something important, you know, to be respected, whether it was being against the death penalty or against abortion or anti-war or a number of these issues. But there was no, like it literally was just a, a political issue for the evangelical Protestants in the South, right? I mean, a lot of them had been pro-choice. There was nothing in their doctrine about being anti-abortion. Um, yeah, they, that they, is that is so documented in history. And and look, 
what what we say is people do and always have had their own internal feelings about terminating a pregnancy. It goes to all of these things we were just discussing, right? Like, oh God, should women have sex outside of marriage or for fun? Or, you know, like there, there's a real internal dialogue about that, but there was no organized opposition. Um, the Catholic Church was always, always on record as opposing it, but it was not a priority for them, right? Like they were much more interested right. in lobbying the governor, government for anti-death penalty or money for parochial schools. The evangelicals actually affirmed Roe when it came down. They were like, sounds good to us, like whatever, not a thing for us. As late as 1976, they actually, the Convention on Southern Baptist affirmed Roe. Again, when they landed on this issue in 1978, what they found was that it was an excellent proxy. If you oppose women having control over your own body, it was a great proxy for the idea that you were going to oppose every other form of social progress as well. And that is in fact why the Federalists Federalist Society, which whose whole mission was to put radical judges on the bench, used opposition to Roe as a litmus test. Not because they cared that much about this one ruling, but because it was an excellent indicator that these right, judges well. were going to... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great point. Um, John, you wanted to talk about the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, I mean... We're there. Thing, Go for it. One thing that uh, I had done uh, consulting with Planned Parenthood before years ago um, under Gloria Felt, who I adore to this day. And, you know, one issue that they always had, mind you, this is a good 20 years ago. Maybe it hasn't changed. They we, we found it very hard on the left to get people as concerned about the courts and the Supreme Court as they did on the right. It was hard to get people to energized about it in general. It was hard to get them energized for election time. And it just because that was obviously a huge issue and is for reproductive rights. They had no choice, <laughs> but but they always found it difficult. Are you finding it easier today? Are people yeah. really tuned in? And what's you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's getting kind of scary about the Supreme Court situation. <laughs> well, I am uh, the proud person who introduced the court reform amendment to the DNC platform that just passed on Monday. So I think this is a Congrats. huge issue. And, and what does that do? Yeah. Uh, it's just language that Democrats support court reform. Um, it's It doesn't go further than that, but it is the beginning of a long overdue conversation. Um, and so look, it is changing, right? And let's say two things. That didn't happen by accident, John. Um, and one of the prongs of what we call the movement architects in the book was court capture. Why? Because they always knew they didn't have public opinion on their side. So if you don't have public opinion on your side, you're gonna have to move anti-democratic uh, components to your plan in order to maintain power. Voter suppression was one of them. Redistricting and gerrymandering was one of them. The census, right, and court capture. So this wasn't by accident. They actually spent decades um, indoctrinating their people into caring about the Supreme Court, building infrastructure like the Federalist Society, like Carrie right. Severino's group, um, uh, whatever it's called, the one that fought so hard for Kavanaugh, um, judicial. Oh, right. Crisis Network. Judicial. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's so many of them. And we did not, right? Like a good mentor of mine, Nan Aaron, who runs AFJ, um, always says the the left treats the courts as a pathway to justice and the right treats the courts as a pathway to power. We hit a tipping point on Kavanaugh. For the first time in recorded history in 2018, more voters voting Democratic 
cited the Supreme Court as their reason for voting Democratic than people voting Republican. So we can't let pass be prologue. We are making gains here. I'm a super proud member of um, what uh, a new project called um, Supreme Court Voter Project, which actually does look at how we teach progressives about the importance of the court. It's a project of demand justice, which is a new group since Trump was elected into office. So all of this is changing and it's really, really important that we lean into the momentum because I'll still go to the Hill and I'll still hear, oh, Democrats don't care about this. This is just an issue for the right. I'll hear that from Democratic senators. And I'm like, no, get with the times. This is actually an advantage for us. Okay, Cliff, we've got two quick ads again, and then, uh, Elise, we're going we're gonna to just throw it to you for the rest. Um, unfortunately, COVID-19 infection rates are exploding across the nation. We know it's common sense that everyone wear a mask. And finally, most states have put mask mandates in place. Face masks are still our best way to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. But what happens when the mask you thought you were buying is fraudulent or worthless? The FDA has provided a list of authorized respirator mask manufacturers. Finding those masks has been a challenge and verifying their authenticity even harder. Right now, the new deal shop.com has FDA authorized respirator masks with anti-fake authentication on every package to ensure you're getting exactly what you need. These masks are tested by the NPPTL in the United States and provide greater than 95% filtration. They've even been used in the medical community right now. These masks are in stock and ship for free for our listeners. When you add the code sexy liberal might be two words, might be one word. Can't swear to it. Uh, go to the new deal shop.com and order your supply today. That's new deal shop.com. Get them and keep yourself, your family, your community safe and use the code SEXYLIBERAL. Cliff, a quick word from Plexiderm, and then we are all Elise. All right. You know what? You hate everybody. When your social media pops up with a summer vacation pic from five years ago, great memories, but ugh. It's like, when do these wrinkles and bags around my eyes show up? Delete. (laughs) That happens to me all the time. Not this summer. No more pop-up pics of me with wrinkles, fine lines, and bags under my eyes. And nope, I didn't get surgery. I got Plexiderm. Plexiderm goes on clear and lasts for hours, so nobody will know your secret. Uh, it's clinically a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags, all in the comfort of your home in minutes. Go to triplexiderm.com. Use the code VOICES for half off plus a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off or $14.95, which is for a trial pack. And you can get that by calling 800-685-1292. Again, mention the code VOICES. Again, visit triplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle plus 10 dollars off more or try a 14.95 trial pack we'll use the code voices phew that was the quickest read Elise is um yep back to Elise does NARAL have any position on Biden's VP (laughs) 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 we no we do we absolutely do we love every single person on the short list we think each of these women is beyond qualified, like a visionary leader, and we would be thrilled with every single one of them. Our position is that even with that being the case, they're going to get it because we live in a misogynistic society. Um, So our position is that we will defend them to the end of time. Every single one of them, I swear, love them. And that if people think, you know, I keep, I said on Twitter yesterday, um, in 2016, it was, well, not that woman, right? That we had a bunch of women run this time around and people were like, well, not those women, right? So we still live in a deep- We want the women that have penises and are men. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? I'm not going to go there, but if you guys want to on your own time. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I'm not either. That's all gone. Um, well, no, but that's so, basically what it is. They want they want men. They don't want women at all. 
I think that that's right. <laughs> yeah. And that there are a whole different, we saw this in the commentary about Kamala this week, right? There's a whole different set of rules if yeah, you want to be weird. a woman in power. That's um, kind of And to me. we're yeah. done with it. Yeah. We're just yeah. done with it. We actually think it's a tremendous asset to have a woman on the ticket. And kudos, by the way, to Vice President Biden, because he has never backed off his commitment to put a woman on the ticket. Never. So kudos. Uh, We think it is a tremendous asset because women make up the disproportionate amount of the Democratic base. And because honestly, centralizing lived experience of women in this country is going to lead to better outcomes. It's going to lead to better policy. It's going to lead to better governing. So we see it as a tremendous asset and we are ready to fight hard for whoever she is. I got to say, and this is, isn't specifically an abortion, but sometimes with sexism, there you know there isn't this sort of rule, but you know when you see it. And I got to be honest, like that stuff, the stuff I've seen this week with the whole Kamala Harris, whether you support her and you can support her, not support her, you being anybody for VP, but the whole she was ambitious and she, yeah. you know, she did apologize for hitting Biden during a debate. And I don't want to be like, have you when we can say this on our show, at least, have you fucking people watched for the last 30 years any debates and, and seen anybody not attack somebody who eventually invited them to be uh, you know, their VP? Anybody see what Biden had to say about Obama when it first? I mean. It's it was such a sec it was so such yeah. obvious sexism and it just it pissed me off. And obviously. God forbid we have a VP who knows how to fight back. Oh no! I know, right? Isn't that right? generally the VP's job yeah. to block yes. and tackle for the candidate? Yeah. But all of a sudden, somehow it's a detractor person. Right. So at least, oh, no. now- at least what's Biden's? I, I don't. I'm, I keep going faster because I know we've only got yeah. you for half an hour. Um, assume Biden wins. What's his priority for women? What what should Biden be doing? What do we need to do that first year? to try to straighten things out. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.